Thank you, Doug. So, as we gather here this morning, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Pastor Tim is on vacation, and I have the joy and privilege of sharing God's Word with us today. And uh, we are thankful that you've joined us here this morning, however you are joining us. However you've come, we are glad that you are here. It is good and right for us to gather this morning to remind ourselves that God is still on the throne. After a long week of perhaps political exhaustion, reminding ourselves that God is the sovereign one in all the universe, and in Him we live and move and have our being. That is why we are here, to study God's Word together, to gather together to worship and to exalt the one who is worthy. And I hope that your hearts are encouraged this morning by the fact that God is God. Amen? And He is good and He is ruler over all things. The title for my message this morning is A Call to be Different, Not So Among Us. And it comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Today we are reminded that as the people of God, we must no longer look like the world around us. We must be different. Different in our character, in our nature, and in the way that we live our lives. And while it's equally important that we are different in the way that we respond to political setbacks, how we grieve when we lose a loved one, or a, a myriad of other things that we are called to be different in, that's not our focus this morning. We're going to focus in on Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, where we receive some very specific teachings from Jesus regarding what it means to be different as a disciple of Christ. We're no longer to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, changed, and we're supposed to look like Jesus himself. Read with me in your Bibles in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our first point this morning is the human heart and power. Our, our passage begins with James and John coming to Jesus with a, with a big ask. 
They have a question that they want to ask of of their master. And because of our fallen, sinful human nature, our, our natural response in any situation is to seek our own good. To seek our own power, to seek our own promotion, prestige, to seek what is best for me. James and John, sometimes referred to as the Boom Boom Brothers, they, they come and they ask Jesus for a favor. And it's important to notice that this isn't just some random occurrence. It didn't just happen that they came to Jesus and approached him with their question. In verses 33 through 34 that we didn't read, directly preceding our passage today, Jesus told his disciples that he would eventually be killed. That, that he would be laying the foundation for them that they were trying to begin he was trying to get them to understand that he would someday suffer and die that was the purpose that he was coming to the earth and so interestingly james and john immediately approach him and ask him for a favor because when your master tells you that he's going to die that seems like the logical thing for a person to do no so, so they come and, and, and they approach Jesus, and, and it might sound strange, but, but actually after each of Jesus' passion predictions, they see it in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, and Mark chapter 9, thir- verse 31, and the passage immediately preceding ours, every time Jesus talks about the reason that he came, the passion of the Christ, every time he talks about it, one of his disciples comes and approaches him, jockeying for position and prestige. They didn't understand it yet. But Jesus is going to take this last occurrence and use this as an opportunity to teach them that this is the exact opposite of how we're supposed to live as a disciple of Christ. He wants them to see this and he wants them to understand this. We have the privilege of of having the New Testament and seeing all of these things unfold and hopefully learning from the mistakes of the disciples before they had a fuller understanding of the reason with which Christ came. In 2 Peter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, we, we see a, a great example and an illustration of this fact. It tells us that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. His divine power has granted us all things. It has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And and the reason that he's done that is so that as we then become partakers of the divine nature of Jesus through his grace and mercy, we escape the corruption of the world. We escape the system of of vying for ourselves, of, of thinking power, authority, pride, and prestige are what we should pursue all of that he says is we we see is because of the sinful desires so you see the request of james and john in verse 37 it is this the third time that they've done this it's the most blatant example of human self-centeredness in a direct and immediate contrast to jesus saying that he would be the ultimate sacrifice and would would show ultimate humility So in response to their request, Jesus instructs us that God's kingdom isn't based on power. It isn't based on control, but on service and on giving. They're essentially asking Jesus to sign a blank check for them, and it's pretty audacious of them to even infer that. It's self-serving, it's calloused toward Jesus, and it's, it's offensive 
to all of his friends, the other disciples. Instead of a position of authority and power, instead of Jesus granting them their request, they get a rebuke in a form of a lesson. Jesus says for them, when they approached him, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is always the master at asking good questions. And in verse 36, he simply asks them, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks a question that cuts through all the smoke and all the mirrors. All the feigned, righteous, religious provocations that they have. And, and he gets right down to the heart of the issue. Jesus wants them to identify their own heart's desire. You see, sometimes it's easy to ask for something without realizing the motivation behind that request. And so, truthfully, Jesus asks us all this same question, and we need to examine our hearts to answer this. What do you want Jesus to do for you? You see, the answer to that question lays bare our true motives, revealing whether we seek our own glory or the glory of God. At the time that they asked it, I'd bet that James and John were convinced that they were doing a good thing. You see, they were acknowledging that Jesus is their master and he had authority to grant these positions. They're they're acknowledging that Jesus is the one who, who had that power and authority. And of course, they were putting him on the center throne where he belongs. Regarding this, James Edwards in the Pillar New Testament commentary references this and he says, Jesus was in the middle. They were to be on the right and the left, positions of power and prestige. The brothers hoped to honor Jesus while also honoring themselves. How easily worship and discipleship are blended with self-interest. Or worse, self-interest is masked as worship and discipleship. Our fallen sinful human heart goes to this. We we blend our own interests oftentimes with worship. Or or we mask our own self-interests in the guise of of worship. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but, but later in, in chapter 10, Jesus asks blind Bartimaeus the exact same question, what do you want me to do for you? But Bartimaeus asks for faith. James and John, Jesus' Jesus's disciples, ask for fame and power and prestige. Bartimaeus wants to follow Jesus on the way. He just wants to be able to follow him. And James and John want to sit at his right and in his left. In glory. It's, it's a brilliant contrast in how we respond to the question of what do you want Jesus to do for you? And therein lies the problem. The disciples were yet to fully understand the purpose of Jesus' coming. That Jesus w- would, would cut through their feigned religiosity and get right to the heart of the matter. He says in verse 38, by asking them, you not, know not what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? See, in the Old Testament, when, when we see that word, the cup, it would often signify God's wrath and, and, and his judgment. And Jesus is teaching them that his death was to be the one that fulfills the just requirements of a holy and righteous God. Jesus tells them that that even though they think they're ready to drink his cup, in fact, there is only one who can pay the ransom for us all, and that is Jesus himself. 
perhaps the, the worst part about James and John's pride is that it strikes at the heart of the gospel. When Jesus asks them, can you drink the cup that I drink? It's actually a rhetorical question. It requires a negative answer. Despite their claim, despite their bravado, the disciples can't drink the cup and accomplish the task that only Jesus himself can do. Jesus has been telling his disciples that that he would be put to death, but in verse 45, he tells them the reason he will die for the first time in Mark. He says that, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus tells James and John that they will die just like him. They will drink his cup, but only he could die as the ransom. Only he could pay the penalty for mankind's sin. And this is the heart of the gospel. Mankind, all throughout the ages, thinks that we can atone for or make up for our own sin. If we do just enough good things, if we go to church or help the poor or, or do just enough and spend enough time doing those things, then we'll be able to please God with our works. But we can't. We are tainted by sin. We could never do enough good things to make up for our sin in the eyes of a holy, righteous, perfect God. We can never live up to His standard of perfection. But Jesus, Jesus, the holy, righteous, sinless one who fulfilled every command of the Father and lived the perfect life, he alone can give his life as the ransom for many. And perhaps they didn't fully understand it at the time, but James and John were were demonstrating huge amounts of pride when they indicated that they thought they could drink the cup of Jesus. And that is often what keeps people from accepting the gospel. It's our own selfish, sinful pride. They may know and recognize that they're a sinner, because all of us, if we're honest, we know that we sin. But oftentimes, a prideful person thinks that they can handle it. They can atone for their sins. They alone can make up for their sins and appease God. They just need a little help. From Jesus, maybe. But the Father's wrath against our sin can only, only be satisfied by a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Our salvation is accomplished completely by the work of Christ, not our own merit. And so Jesus asks all of us the same question that he asks them What do you want me to do for you? Our answer is. Every person's answer that wants to spend eternity with God the Father to have their sins forgiven, our answer must only be, I am a sinner. Save me. Only you, Jesus, can satisfy the Father's righteous demands. Only you could die as a ransom for my sins. You are my Lord and my God. That is the gospel. Jesus takes them from a statement about pride and power and authority and reminds them that this is why I have come. But before we pile on James and John too much, we also need to turn our eye toward the other disciples. You see, there's enough pride to go around for everyone. It's easy to think James and John are a couple dinguses. 
I would never do that if I was Jesus' disciple. But we should be very careful. We have to be very careful because the power of the sinful flesh in us, no one is exempt from pride. And that's exactly what besets the other ten disciples. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to, begin, they began to be indignant at James and John. Not surprising, the other disciples were, were frustrated with them. It's just for the other disciples are saying, I can't believe how prideful they're being. Especially since I wanted that position. It's pride. The other ten showed just as much pride as James and John. And it's easy to be critical of James and John. But the other ten were, were frustrated that maybe they didn't think of to ask first. As if that's how it would work. Well, whoever asks first, I guess you get it. No, not at all. And their, their indignation is probably due to the fact that they wanted those positions of honor and, and, and that they thought maybe the Boom Boom brothers were going to get those spots. But beyond that, if James and John gets those spots, that also excludes us. We want that relationship with Jesus. We want to be on his right and left. We want to be able to, to go and, and have those things. All of the disciples were thinking only of themselves. And left to its own accord, the human heart is prideful and wicked. Every one of us must regularly examine our heart's desires and motives. Because pride is a destroyer. Our next point this morning is a kingdom of servants, not kings. This next section is is truly where the rubber meets the road in our passage this morning. When James and John approach Jesus asking for power, Jesus reminds them that his disciples are called to be different. Jesus reminds them that, that they are called to be different. Jesus used their question as a teaching opportunity, as a chance to continue to prepare his disciples for what would happen after he was crucified. In verse 42, we read, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You see it in the world around you guys. You see the Gentiles, those people who are put into power, and what do they do? They use it to lord it over one another. They exercise authority over them. They make them their little minions doing whatever they want them to do. The world pursues power and authority, but Jesus says it should not be so among us. Jesus makes it blatantly clear that we are not to behave like the rulers of the Gentiles. We are not supposed to take our marching orders and the pattern for our behavior from those around us in the world. Instead, we follow our master. It shouldn't be that way among you. That's not how you are supposed to act. And don't be like James and John, he points out, and think that this is your opportunity to become great i got to believe that if I'm James and John and, and we ask that question and Jesus pulls us aside and he says, hey, listen, everybody, that's not how we're supposed to act. They had to feel about this big. But all of us, every single one of us, including the other ten men there at the time, 
oftentimes can, can allow pride to convince us that, that power and authority is what we should pursue. But Jesus says, instead, I, I, I'm not trying to belittle you, but what I want from you is for you to understand that this is your opportunity to be what I want you to be as a follower of me. Jesus says that, that we need to understand that you are called as a disciple of Christ to be a servant. A servant. This isn't simply a call to change your behavior. This is a call to understand that when we understand the gospel, when we know Christ is our Savior, that Jesus' kingdom changes everything about our character and our nature. We must be completely changed. We can't just change a little bit and add a little bit of Jesus to what we're doing. Service isn't just a thing that we add to our lives to to gain extra credit with God someday when we meet Him face to face. Service is to be the defining characteristic of a believer in Jesus. James Edwards says it this way in that commentary I mentioned earlier. The preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, not even freedom, but service. Ironically, greatness belongs to the one who is not great, but to the diakonos, which is the ordinary Greek word for waiting on tables. You see, the, the, noun, ver, the noun form of diakonos is, is the word that we use to get deacon from. You see, servants of the church, Jesus is saying, that is who I want to be leaders. They need to be servants in my kingdom. If you want to be great in his kingdom, you must be servants of all. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That is what we're called to do in the church. And just in case you're wondering, Jesus isn't using hyperbole. He's not exaggerating for the sake of making a point. He doubles down on what he says when he tells them that you are to be a servant. He, 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 he goes even further than calling them servants. Jesus declares that whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. As if being called a servant wasn't hard enough, Jesus calls us to become what, what, what was in the ancient society even lower than servants. A slave to all. The reason why a servant is the preeminent position in the kingdom of God is that the sole function of a servant is to give. And as we see at the end of this passage, giving is the essence of God. It is what Christ came to do. And so we see that being a servant is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Look again at verse 45 where it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What Jesus teaches about service and self-sacrifice is not simply a principle of the kingdom of God, but a pattern of his own life that we are called to emulate. He calls us to a life of service because he himself came to give his life to serve, to be a ransom for all. Jesus wasn't simply teaching on how to be a better follower. This is a command to be like him who is the epitome of servant 
leadership. In Romans chapter 15 and verses 2 through 3, we read this. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We don't serve for our own good, trying to get anything from it. That's not ultimately at the heart of true service. We serve for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the people that we are serving. And ultimately, just like Jesus modeled for us, Jesus served not even to please himself, but he took the reproach that we deserve, the reproach of God, the sins that we commit, he took those on himself. He took that punishment so that God, the Father, would be glorified. And the beauty of that is that when we imitate Jesus and serve others, that's what happens. God the Father is ultimately glorified when we, knowing Christ, serve. In 1 Peter 4.11, we see this. It says, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. But notice this next part. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. If you are serving, you serve in the strength that God supplies. And why and how do we do that? In order that God may be glorified, not through Chad, but through Jesus Christ. Because the only way that I can please God is by that sacrifice that Christ made for me. By Him paying the ransom for my sins. And so, everything that I do now glorifies God because and through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is so important. We need to understand that as the people of God, as disciples of Christ, we are made to serve. And when we serve, we bring great, great honor and glory to our King, to our Master. Just over a year ago when Tim was on sabbatical, I preached a sermon series on discipleship. And I introduced the concept that being a disciple wasn't simply about having right information about Jesus, and I, and I called it and labeled it the Discipleship Action Plan. And it had the infographic of know, grow, serve, and share. I, I wanted to take that this morning as just a reminder for us and spend a little bit of time, because it's easy to hear a, a sermon like this, to study a passage of Scripture like this and say, yeah, but so what? And I want us to understand that, that this is the what. And this is the why. We are called to be servants. Service is a major part of discipleship in God's economy. I'd love to see it become an even more important part of our church body. If you are here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, you, every one of us, are called to be a servant of all. He's called every one of his disciples to be a follower of Christ and to serve just like Jesus did. We should be serving in our families. Our homes are the first place that we can learn to serve one another. We should be serving in our church. 
We should be serving in our community. We should be serving anywhere and everywhere to the ends of the earth. As we sang about in the last song, we are facing a task that's not finished. So we are called to serve. So we should be serving. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because He has paid our ransom, we are free from sin, and we are free to be the servant of all. Julie and I, as we've been talking to people about transitioning from youth ministry into adult ministry, have have been reminding people frequently that working with adults is really not that different from working with teenagers. Sometimes it's not that different from working with children. That's what she says when she's working with me. But we expect and we teach our kids that they have to be involved in serving. Well, what are you doing in the church? How are you getting involved? How are you serving? Well, service isn't something that stops when you reach a certain age. Whether that age is 18 or 25 or I'm married with kids or I'm retired or I'm 90 years old. Service doesn't stop. As a disciple of Christ, we are called to serve in any and every capacity that we can. And so to the adults in this room this morning, I'm asking, myself included, why do I encourage my kids to serve if I'm not serving? So I want to just remind everybody that, that we regularly put together a list of opportunities to serve at First Baptist Church. We try to keep this updated. It is at the information center in the, uh, in the foyer. You can find it, I believe, on our website. Sometimes I can speak things into existence, right, Mike? <laughs> if it's not there, it will be by Tuesday. <laughs> it's nice having a mic. Everybody should have one. <laughs> but there are opportunities for us to serve one another. And and there's lots of different things. You don't have to be somebody who comes up front to serve. You can be somebody that gets joy and full completeness in serving the Lord behind the scenes. Praise the Lord. You can go visit widows and shut-ins and spend some time with them, asking them about how they are and, and, and loving them. It's a great opportunity. Weekly in the bulletin, there's some kind of service opportunity that you could get involved with there. Whether that's over at the Beacon of Hope or here at First Baptist Church. Perhaps there's somebody that needs a ride to church and you could just let people know, hey, if they're in my area, I'd love to take somebody to church. I could do that for them. It's easy. There's people that are having babies and and going and having operations. Right? When these ladies are, are having babies, we usually put together meal trains for them to serve them so that they can serve their families. Go out of your way to, to welcome new people who walk in the doors here on a Sunday morning. That is so very important. Not that one of the pastors greet them, although hopefully we have the opportunity always to meet new visitors. But that's our job. It's so much more powerful when it's the people of the church saying, welcome. We love you. We're glad you're here. We can serve in our church. We can serve in our community. Because when we serve in the community, we have an opportunity to combat the negative image of Christianity that they might have and glorify God while doing that. We can make a positive impact on the community. We live here. We should want the best for our community. 
And we have an opportunity to share the gospel with people when we develop relationships with them. We're called to serve. Serve on community boards. Get involved in local politics. Serve on the school board. Volunteer at the school closest to you. Coach a kid's program in the summer. Even if you don't have a child or a grandchild that enjoys that. It's a great opportunity for you to get involved in serving somebody. Maybe your kids are all grown and you miss being able to go watch ball games. Serve somehow in the community. Serve at a community, community meal. In our bulletin today, we're talking about the Thanksgiving dinner for the community. There's opportunities for you to get involved and serve. Maybe you could visit a nursing home. Or maybe you want to be part of a team that regularly, almost once a month now, puts on a 20 to 30 minute church service for the folks at Hazel Finley. You see, if you're not sure where to start, get in contact with me or one of the other pastors. We can help you find a place where you can serve. But the reality is that, that we are called to serve. James and John were caught up in pride and pro- power and authority and prestige. And Jesus says, uh-uh. It's not supposed to be that way among us. We need to emulate the Master who was a servant of all. So we would like to see our church being a church that wants to outserve one another, to outdo one another in showing love. Because that's what Christ has called us to do. And He's taken the ransom for our sins. He's given us everything. And now He wants us to be a servant or a slave of all. We'll let the world around us continue to constantly vie and jockey for power, prestige, and authority. But not so among God's people. We must serve our Lord. We must serve our Savior as He has so graciously served us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus, the one who did drink the cup of your wrath, the one who lived a perfect, sinless life, and therefore could die, not for his sins, but for ours, as a ransom for our sins. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And thank you that he calls us to serve as he did. Oh, Father, in 1 Corinthians, you tell us whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we are to do all for your honor and for your glory. Do it for the glory of God. And Paul tells us to be imitators of him as he is an imitator of Christ. May that be said of us here at First Baptist Church from generation to generation. Help us to imitate Jesus so that others can imitate Him as well. But none of that happens, Lord. We know in our own strength. And so we thank You that You have called, equipped, and prepared us to be Your servants in this world. Thank You for that honor and privilege. May we take it seriously and serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.